wonderful to be with you today. My name is Mike, one of the pastors on the team. Why don't you grab your notes out of your handout, and you will see we are continuing our Summer Growth Spurt series. And the idea is that this whole summer, we would continue the, uh, the process of spiritual formation, that we'd embrace it, that, that we would just go after it this summer. I want to begin by saying happy 4th of July weekend to you. It is a wonderful thing that we celebrate at 4th of July. Um, friends, just to remind you, we all know that freedom isn't free that it has a cost associated with it, and I am thankful to live in a country where so many serve and sacrifice so that we can enjoy some of the greatest freedoms on planet Earth. Uh, I'm just very thankful for that. Every week at Overlake, we celebrate the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, and we realize the sacrifice that He has given so that each and every person uh, could experience that freedom as well. And of course, it's he that we worship today. Um, last week, I want you to know that I joined you in worship, although I joined you online. My family and I were uh, road tripping up from California, so I worshiped with you on my cell phone while I was driving. It's maybe not as safe as it sounds. Um, but uh, I just want to say that it is a, it's a great tool. If you're joining us online, welcome. We're really, really glad you're joining us online. It's, it's a great interface, and it's a way that Overlake has now become truly an international congregation because of that tool. So if you haven't checked it out, you can. But while I was worshiping online, um, I participated with Pastor Gary's challenge. As last week, Pastor Gary brought a challenge for us to set aside some time each day that we would be quiet before the Lord, that we would be reflective, that, that we would be prayerful. And uh, so I picked up that challenge. Hopefully you did too. Again, it's all part of this idea of spiritual formation. And uh, so I do want to point out uh, we've got a couple of ways that this happens at Overlake. The pathway for spiritual formation at Overlake is called Rooted. And Rooted 101, it's, it's about faith and family. It's about what it takes to be a dynamic member here at Overlake. Many, many of you have already gone through that. Um, we also have 201, and uh, these are both kicking off here as we enter in the fall. But I do want you to notice what 201 is about. It's about a transformed life. And I want you to think about that word for just a moment. What does it look like to have a transformed life? My guess is that each and every one of us here have areas of our lives that we wish were transformed. That each, certainly that's true in my life. There are places in my life, I'm sure there are places in your life where you wish a sort of spiritual transformation would happen so that you could be closer to God or live more free and full, less fearful, more alive, less isolated, more connected to friends, family, spouse, less confused, more wise, less needy, more stable, more trustworthy. There are places, and God sees them, where we desire for his transformation to take place. Now, God is the one who wired us up as humans, and he knows that there are several things that transform our lives. And you can think about this. You know it to be true. God sees that trouble can transform us, that temptation can transform us. He sees that time certainly transforms us. But the number one tool that God wants to transform our lives is his truth. He desires for his truth to transform 
our lives. I found this quote from Rick Warren that says, the spirit of God uses the word of God to make us like the son of God. And that's the goal of transformation, that in us, the character of Christ would be formed, that we would be transformed to be more and more and more in character to be like Jesus. And we are most transformed by our diligence to get into and to consume the scripture that God has given us. Yes, that's right, friends. We are going to talk about the Bible in church. Shocker, I know. So let me start at the beginning. This is a Bible. God wrote it. He wrote it through human authors over the span of 1,400 years. He wrote it on a couple of different continents. He wrote it through dozens of human authors, 66 different books found within this tome, all having a singular theme and purpose. And that is this, that God has created us in love, that sin has separated us from God in shame, that Jesus, God's son, has pursued us in grace, and that life comes from rejecting our sin and isolation and receiving the free gift of salvation that is offered through Jesus Christ. That is what the entire scripture is all about. How do you know that, Mike? Well, I've read it, and I invite you to read it as well. And friends, you do know this. Many of you know that the Bible has been the best-selling book on planet Earth since the beginning of the printing press. But despite it being a bestseller, you need to understand that in this post-Christian, post-modern world that we live in, biblical illiteracy is at an all-time high. Uh, researcher George Gallup says, although the level of formal education of the U.S. population has climbed dramatically since the 40s, surveys show that the level of biblical literacy has not kept pace. Stephen Prothero says, Americans, both churched and unchurched, remain biblical illiterates. In fact, in a recent poll, we see that 75% of American adults believe that the Bible says God helps those who help themselves. It doesn't, just FYI. 10% believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. 10%. Research by the Gallup organization shows that most Americans claim they believe the Ten Commandments, but very few can name them. Only half of the American Christians polled know who preached the Sermon on the Mount. Hint, it's not Billy Graham. It's Jesus, right? And uh, so you see that close to 50% of American adults read the Bible seldom or never. When I read that fact, I, I thought to myself, what would it be like to write a book that nobody reads? And then I thought, well, wait a minute. I, I know exactly what that feels like. <laughs> This week I spoke with five pastors and I asked them the question, look, when you have trouble getting into the word, when you, when you have a hesitation about it, what are some things that are going on in your mind and in life? And, and these were some of their answers. They said, I compare myself to people who devour the word and I realize I'm not having a supernatural moment every single 
time. And so I feel like everybody else loves the word of God except for me. Another said, I, I think it's about my season of life and the schedule and the pace in my family. Another said, sometimes it's just not a top priority for me. Another said, disciplines are not my strong suit. I can get easily distracted. Another said, it's simpler to read mindless material. Friends, these are the things that pastors said. Bad pastors, no, I'm just kidding, they're not. Uh, Actually, they're really truthful and they're authentic and they're honest by revealing that, yes, they're pastors, yes, they love Jesus, they wanna serve the Lord with their lives, but they have these kinds of struggles. My guess is that they're the same kind of struggles that you have. When it comes to getting into the word of God, sometimes we have these same kinds of issues. And so I want to challenge you today. What if we approached the word of God a little differently? If I'm successful at all this morning, by the time you leave, maybe we're looking at opening God's word from a totally different angle today. What if we came at it from the angle that this is God's heart revealed? That this is his love put down on paper, offered to you the object of his love and affection. What if we could get to that place where we were excited about opening these pages and seeing what God's will and wisdom is for our lives? 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is inspired by God Stop there for a second. All scripture inspired. You want to be inspired? We all need inspiration. Read the scripture because the inspiration of God comes to us as we read. All scripture inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good thing. Work. Look at that passage and see all of the things that the scripture accomplishes. It is useful. It's all useful to correct and to guide us, to teach us, to educate us. But it's more than an education, right? There is transformation that takes place. There is clarity. The, the scripture helps us realize how good God is, how close his love is, the fullness of life that he's inviting us into. And more than anything else, and you might want to just put this in your notes, the scripture is a portal to intimacy with God. It's that, it's that passageway through which we become intimates with God. Now, I would just say at the very beginning, what we would need then to do is come up with a time, a place, and a plan that we would embrace in order to get into the word of God. Time, place, and a plan. For me, in my life, some of you already know this, I'm an early riser. Typically, I'm the first one up in my house uh, maybe the dog beats me, but other than that, everyone, uh, humans, asleep. And so I get up and I try to grab my Bible and a journal, a cup of coffee and my Seahawks mug, and I pick a couch that is closest to the sunshine. And it's there that I open the word and I, I see what is it that God has for me. I start going through the scripture and experiencing what it is that he wants. And so here we are, Summer Growth Spurt Challenge. I don't want to challenge you just to read a good book this summer. I want to challenge you to read the good book this summer. And as you do, there are a few tools that I want to challenge you to keep in mind. This is designed for those of you who have been Christians for a long time, as well as those of you who are just starting the journey with Jesus. Um, The first fill-in on your outline is to accept the authority of scripture as you read. 
It's gonna be a profoundly helpful tool in your spiritual growth when you simply begin by accepting the authority of scripture in your life. In other words, you just say, you know what, this is the standard for me. This is the compass I'm gonna use to steer by. This is the counsel I will listen to. This is the benchmark for evaluating my decisions. The Bible has the first word, it has the last word. You just make that decision. I'm gonna accept the authority of God through the scripture. And as you do, it sounds like a limiting thing, but as you do, what I promise you is you will experience the freedom that Jesus has in mind for you. Look at this verse that David says. David says, I will run in the way of your commandments, for you have set my heart free. I will run in the way of your commandments. Why? Because you've set my heart free. See, the Lord wants to bring freedom to each and every one of us, but there's a, there's a reality to that, that we would also run with him, that we would run in the way of his commands. I, I do have a dog. We have a dog named Scout at home, and, and Scout's a shelter mutt. Uh, very, very, uh, there are many things that are good about Scout. One thing you need to know is he is the friendliest dog on planet Earth. If you come to visit my house, he will do everything I was going to say humanly possible, caninely possible uh, in order to make you feel at home, including he will put his nose right in your groin, and that's just for free. It's a service he offers, and uh, those of you who have been to my house, you're like, I can give a testimony. Uh, it, it's just very ironic, actually, because he's trying to make you feel welcome. You don't feel anything but pain, um, but uh, anyway, that's my dog, Scout. The, the, the greatest thing about Scout is that when I take him on a walk on the trail, when I take him on a run on the trails around my home, he doesn't require a leash. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. He's so good, he stays so close to me that a leash is not required. I take one with me, but, but there's not... It, and when Jody and I first got Scout, we trained him by walking him on the leash. We'd walk him on the leash on the trails, keep him by, by us the whole time, give him little treats if he was good, and he, he got so good that we were able then to take the leash off and he would stay with us. I want you to think about this for a moment. When my wife and I first got the dog, we didn't dream about him being a great dog on the leash. We dreamed about him being a great dog off the leash. Now, I want you to understand what David's saying here. He's saying, you've set me free, so I choose to run with you. You see, I run in the way of your commands. Why? Because I'm free. Because you've, you've set me free. And this has always been God's heart, right? Look what it says in Psalm 32. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. Friends, the Lord doesn't want us on a leash. No, God invites us to experience the fullness of life, the full adventure of life with him unleashed. But that adventure begins when we accept the authority of scripture over us. Next fill-in, it's not about rules, it's about his rule, right? It's about us accepting the loving and righteous reign of the Lord over our lives. The Bible, people write it off, oh, it's just a list of rules. No, no, it's about God's rule. And once you see that, you get to see the bigger picture. You start to see the forest for the trees, right? God is so good. 
And God has been pouring blessing after blessing after blessing out on you your whole life, whether you've ever acknowledged him as the source of your blessings or not. I just wanna tell you, no matter where you are spiritually, every good thing, every single moment of blessing in your life, every great thing that you, you have and you love, every relationship, every good and perfect thing, the scripture says, is a gift to you from God the Father. I just want you to think about that. Every, like, just, just go, okay, my opportunities, my personality, my mind, my work ethic, my connections, relationally, my food, my clothing, my shelter, my friends, my family. These aren't your gifts to God, friends. They are God's gifts to you. And he loves to pour out his gracious kindness, his lavish love, blessing after blessing, whether or not you ever thank him for it. And friends, the Bible is the greatest gift because it reveals his heart, it reveals his love, it reveals his plan, his wisdom, and his will for you. And the promise that it makes is that there's more. There's more life available. There's more love available. There's more joy available. There's more adventure available. There's more victory available for each and every one of us. And so we jump in to experience his rule over our lives. Now, I will just tell you, as a part of his rule, there are some things that are off limits. The reason why they're off limits is because they will hurt you or they'll hurt somebody else. As a part of his rule, we just recognize that we trust God knows best. We trust that his heart is good. We trust because he's the author of life, he knows more about life than we do. And we understand his heart more and more as we nourish ourselves with his word. Look at these, the words of Jesus. People need more than bread for their life. They must feed on every word of God. Friends, the Bible is far more than a doctrinal guidebook. God's word generates life. It creates faith. It produces change. It frightens the devil. It causes miracles. It heals hurts. It builds character. It transforms circumstances. It imparts joy, overcomes adversity, defeats temptation, infuses hope, releases power, cleanses our minds, brings things into being, and guarantees our future forever. We should consider it as essential to our lives as the food that we eat. We are to hunger for the word of God. Job says this in Job 23, 12, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. 1 Peter 2, 2, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Friends, we're to hunger for the word. We're to crave it. We're to treasure it. We're to accept his authority as we devour his word regularly. The next tool we have is the tool of assimilating the truth of the scripture into our lives, that we assimilate it into our minds, that we we sort of put it here so that it helps us as we're navigating life. And we receive his word by listening and accepting it with an open and a receptive attitude. Jesus tells this parable about um, a farmer sowing seed. He talks about different types of soil. And the seed that goes into the receptive and fertile soil is the seed that produces an incredible uh, yield, a crop. And, and that's sort of the diligence that we can do on our own hearts. We can prepare our hearts. 
We can make our hearts receptive. We can make our hearts welcoming. We, we, can, we can sort of till the soil of our hearts so that when God's word is sown, it is planted and grows deeply within us. James 1.21 says, In a humble, gentle, modest spirit, receive and welcome the word, which implanted and rooted in your hearts contains the power to save your souls. Friends, we're to be hungry, we're to be humble, and we're to welcome his word in our hearts. Now, let me be honest for a second. There are very, very many of us that are more regular in reading the news every day than we are in God's word, or that are more diligent in reading our favorite blogs than the scripture or are more um, steadfast in staying current with our favorite television shows than in seeing what God's will is for us. Now, I don't say that to produce guilt, although I realize I've produced quite a bit just now. <laughs> I say that to produce motivation. I couldn't care less about guilt. What I want is movement forward. And I believe that the, if we take this as a challenge, we go, oh, I get it, that God's word is this good, that it is this rich, that it is his wisdom and his will, but it's also his heart and his love. And so we start coming to it and we assimilate the truth of scripture into our lives. You might want to think about this truth. Daily Bible reading will keep you in range of God's voice. Right? We want to hear from him. We want to know what his thoughts are. And so a couple of tools that I'll pitch you. One, I've used several times in my life. This is the One Year Bible. And you can get these One Year Bibles and just about whatever your favorite translation is. It's broken down into daily readings, 365 readings. If you read them every day, you go through the Bible in a year. I've worked through this several times. And, uh, but I just want you to know, this is a total point of authenticity, confession. It takes me more than a year to read the scripture. Okay, from cover to cover. So even though it's called the one-year Bible for Pastor Mike, this is the 1.2-year Bible, because uh, that's about how long it takes me. But I would just uh, commend that to you. Um, there are other Bibles that uh, I know have been helpful to many of you, like the Chronological Bible, which has the whole Bible sort of in the order that it was written. Um, one that I've been in recently, just because of my interest, is the Archaeological Bible, because I love seeing how history and culture and archaeology work together and confirm the events of Scripture. So anyway, all kinds of tools that you can use. Here's a tool that I want to offer everyone for free. It's our Grow Tools at Overlake. And you can access these online at OCC.org. Also, our phone app has them as well. It's a daily reading plan. And, uh, and there's some descriptors and some encouragements on there as well. So I would encourage you to grab that and to pursue that. But whether you use a preset reading plan or your own, here are a couple of things to keep in mind. Uh, next fill-in, read for depth, not distance. Read for depth, not Distance. I just want to be very, very clear. There is no reason to speed read the Bible. You don't get a gold star in heaven for finishing first. Right? It's not a race, okay? So, so don't read for distance necessarily. Read for depth that you would let it kind of sink in and, and, and do its work within you. Psalm 19.7 says, The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. Do we want to be revived? I know we do. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. Do we want wisdom and joy? We do. 
The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. So when you read for depth, you're enjoying the reward. You're experiencing the sweetness of the scripture. You're, you're savoring what it is that God desires for you to savor. Your life's being enriched as you meditate on the word. In fact, the rewards that this passage talks about are the rewards that come from meditating on the word of God. In the Hebrew, the word for meditate is chagah, and it's the same word used in Isaiah 31.4 to describe how a lion savors its prey. Eugene Peterson uses that same concept, a lion savoring its prey, to a dog gnawing on a bone. We've all seen that. A dog gnawing and enjoying and, and just, you know, chewing on that thing again and again and again and, and just coming back to it and just all the way down to the marrow, just enjoying the whole experience. Question, how long has it been since you savored, meditated a passage of scripture all the way down to the marrow? That you just ruminated on it again and again and again. You let your life marinate in the goodness of God or in the truth of the scripture. See, there's reward that comes. And the idea is that you're not just checking a box, oh, I finished my spiritual activity for the day, now move on. But you're just enjoying it, meditating on it, bringing it back to mind again and again. Uh, Next fill-in, retain truth, not trivia. We want to remember truth, not trivia. Listen, there is no entrance exam in heaven that, that will quiz your knowledge of Bible trivia. It doesn't work that way. And so what you want is the truth to be in you. You want to assimilate God's truth. And the best way I know how to do this is by memorizing Scripture. I say those, that, that phrase, memorize scripture, and half of you have checked out instantly. You're just not there. So let me give you a tool to memorize scripture. It's the only tool that I've ever found helpful in my life when it comes to memorizing scripture. So we're going to go through it together just right now. I'm going to illustrate it with you. You need to participate with me. But let's take a look at a scripture. Uh, this is the words of Jesus. Many of you might already know this. It's Matthew 11:28. Okay, there it is. I, I want to ask that you would read it with me out loud right now, okay? One, two, three. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Powerful scripture, true. So, so take a look at it one more time, and I want you to notice the first letter of every word, okay? The, just think of the first letter of every word, and I want you to read it out loud with me again. You ready? Let's read it out loud. One, two, three. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Now, on the back of your flashcard, write down the first letter in every word, and it'll look like this. Now, let's try it again, okay? On the count of three, you just give it your best shot. One, two, three. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. See how easy that is? Make yourself a little flashcard. 
keep it in your car, your, your, your little cubby at work, wherever it is, and you just flip through your, your scripture and you just assimilate the truth inside of you. You just let the truth come in. And, and so we read the scripture, right? We, we meditate on the scripture. We memorize the scripture. There's this great psalm that says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I think that over the last 44 years of my life, what I have seen, different preachers, different people, different Christians, I've seen them sort of use that passage as a blank check to try to get whatever they want from God. Delight myself in the Lord, he will give me a Winnebago. You know, like, uh, you just, just sort of, oh, I delight in you, Lord, now I have a new spa. Like, I don't know that it sort of works like that. But here's what I know. I know that if you tell yourself that as you are meditating on Scripture, if you tell yourself that as you are memorizing the Scripture, Lord, I delight myself in you. I delight myself in your word. What's going to happen is that your desires are going to become more and more like God's desires. And as your desires become more and more like God's desires, guess what? He will give you the desires of your heart. Why? Because they're his because you will have his desires. It's a pleasure for God to just open up heaven, okay? So th this idea of going through scripture, right? We assimilate the truth of scripture. We accept the authority of scripture. The next one, we apply the principles of scripture into our lives. This is, this is a big, big one. This is a big, big one. In fact, I, I've maybe said before at Overlake, you know, I don't care in, in Overlake learning more about scripture. I care about us doing what we already know. Because this is where it gets real. And of course, James talks about this. He says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. In other words, it's for application. Here's something else to keep in mind. It's not to puff our knowledge up. It's to build our lives up. So we seek to apply God's truth to our lives. It's not about citing religious facts, trivia. Not even about how many Bible memory verses you know, although that's powerful. I'm sure you can think of somebody who knows a ton about nutrition, and they'll let you know they know a ton about nutrition, but they eat really, really poorly. I'm sure you know somebody who knows a ton about working out. They're like an expert on CrossFit or something, but they live a sedentary life. I'm sure you know somebody who has like this incredible expertise in something, right? That all of the, the knowledge in the world about m managing money. And they'll tell you all day long how you should manage your money, but you know they live paycheck to paycheck. And, and when you come around those kinds of folks, you, you just want to tell them, you know better. But that's really not the right phrase. They know. What you really want to say is, you should live better. You should live what you know. And that's really where it gets real for Christians, right? This is where Jesus followers, this is where we have to kind of go, okay, this is, this is how I make it real, is when I make it practical in my life. And, and so I do want to give you a kind of a helpful acrostic. This is, again, part of our grow tools that we offer, but it's, it's that acrostic soap on your outline. And the S just stands for scripture. What am I reading? Who wrote this? Who did he write it to? Uh, what is the cultural context of the day? What's going on that, that the writer is addressing? That's kind of analyzing scripture. The O is observe. What is being communicated here? Why is it being communicated? 
And then the A is apply, right? A is apply, identify timeless truth, and then own it in my life. This is what I'm going to live. This is how I'm going to proceed. In fact, I just want to tell you, at Overlake, that is the definition of spiritual maturity, is the distance between when you know God's will and when you do God's will. That's spiritual maturity. How long it takes you between the time you know what God wants for your life and the time you obey what God wants for your life, that's maturity. We apply the truth of scripture into our life. And then the P is pray. We talk with God about what we've read. We ask God to help us implement. We ask for his Holy Spirit to give us strength and courage. James 1.25 says, but if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. You might want to circle the phrase, God will bless you. God will bless you. When you look into the perfect law, you put it in practice in your life, you keep on doing it, you remember it, you will be blessed. Now, I mentioned before that I thought we could approach reading scripture from a totally different angle, and I I don't think I've got there yet, so let me close with this kind of analogy. I want you to think through the course of your life. Okay, think all the way back through. Have you ever been head over heels in love? Have you ever been just totally infatuated, enamored, just puppy love, whatever, just you've been, you just kind of sweaty palms, nauseous, every time the phone rang, you thought, oh, I hope it's, you know, like you just were so, just, just absolutely just in that sort of Twitter-pated, right? You just, you had no, you, nobody could even talk to you because that's, that's all that was going on. I just want you to think that when you were in that place, and some of you have to go way back, like way back, some of you, first service, way, way back, like... But I, just, I want you to like, think about when you were talking to that person, you were constantly thinking, what are their needs and how can I meet their needs without them even asking? And if they wrote you a letter, a letter, it's um, actually like paper and ink and this is actually back in the, so when I was growing up, this was before color TV and email and text and humans had recently harnessed fire uh, and, and uh, so what would happen is they would take um, paper and a pen, a uh, quill, if you will, and they would write out their thoughts, and they would fold it up, put it in an envelope, and stick it in the mail, not snail mail or email. It's just mail, because that's the only thing that was offered for putting a letter in, and, and they would send a message to you, and you would open the mailbox, and you would open that letter, and you would read the letter from your loved one 1,500 times. And you would scan it and analyze it and you would pour over it. And, and every time there was some nod of how they felt for you, you would hang on those words. You, you would meditate on them. You would devour those words. You would look for ways in which you could serve your beloved without them even asking you, oh, do they have a need here? Can I do this? Can I? And, and it would be a great joy for you. You would, you, in those days, you would talk on the phone all night long and then get up in the crack of dawn to drive across town with a latte and offer it to your love as they were leaving their house so you could be the hero and you would count that a blessing for you. My buddy was telling me that in his early days of courtship with his now wife, uh, it was February, and he had made this kind of elaborate Valentine's Day date But he wanted to do more, so he decided in the month of February that every day he was going to do something special 
for his love. And so he just took great delight. Like he would sneak, you know, into her, into her dorm room and he would steal her car keys, like, you know, and, and he would take it and he'd get her car detailed, fill up with gas, and then bring it back and put her keys back. So when she got in the car, she went, what is this? You know, oh, nice. He would he'd get her favorite chocolates and leave them around for her. Write her little love notes. He'd put them around. He'd make a, a mixtape of her favorite songs. A mixtape is a... Uh, it's a, like a playlist that you would download on a, a physical, like a flash drive, if you will. Uh, and then you would need this, uh, forget it. Uh, anyway. And, and, and it, was, it was so, he was telling me, it was so much blessing for me to be blessing the one that I love. And and, and it was such joy for me to see it bring her joy as she read the notes that I wrote telling her how much I love her. Now that analogy works with God's heart for you. God has written you a love letter. God blesses you day in and day out he brings the showers of his blessing on the righteous and the unrighteous. God lavishes love on us. He hides blessings along the way, and he tells us again and again and again, he loves us. This is God's heart for you. He has settled the deal. He loves you. And what if every time you open his word, you did it with trembling fingers like you would open a letter from the mailbox from your beloved and and you would pour over the words, and, and you would look to see ways in which he communicates love for you. You would look to see ways in which you could serve him, even without him asking that you could come in line, that you could, like David, run in the pathway of his commands. Why? Because he set your heart free. See, I think if we approach the scripture from that angle, it's totally different. It ceases to become a spiritual discipline and it becomes a spiritual joy. Close with a, a verse King David writes. It's one of my favorite verses of all time. David says, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. And personally, as I read that, I think to myself, how humbled am I? The fact that the Lord of the entire universe, God of all creation, would hide me under his protective care. That, that God would care about me enough that he would draw me close. That he would love me and protect me. That he would guide me. That he would keep me safe. And why would he do it? Because I'm the apple of his eye. Friends, you're the apple of his eye. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me so. So friends, I, I want to challenge you this summer. Let's, let's get in. Let's become lovers of God's word. Let's use his word as a portal to travel through for intimacy because he loves you. Why don't we pray together now? Jesus, we want to begin by saying thank you for the ways in which you've showered love on us. Thank you for never giving up on us, for the fact that your grace is so consistent and so constant that you continue to wrap your arms of love around us, that you continue to offer your blessing to us. We just wanna say thank you. 
And Lord, thank you for the word that you've provided for us. Thank you that we are not stumbling in the darkness, but rather you've provided the light for our path. Thank you that, that you have allowed us the revelation of God's heart so that we could be in relationship with you, so that we could have life both now and forever. And we just want to say thank you for the word. I ask that you would allow each and every one of us to look at the word slightly differently, that in the days and weeks and months to come, that we would anticipate the time that we could open your word, that we would enjoy and savor the moments that we have mulling over your truth, that, that Jesus, we would just have an especial and maybe new affection for your wisdom and your will for us. We love you so much, Lord. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be working in each of us so that we could actually do these things that we're encouraged to do. We pray it in your precious name, amen.